everyone, and welcome to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 328. Was that really Banksy? Chill podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Sam and Eddie. So I'll leave it up to you two since you guys were together this weekend. How were the festivities? First time you guys were together in since we started this podcast. I don't know if you knew that or not, but yeah, no, we realized over the course of the weekend it was the first time that any of us had seen each other in person since the podcast started. So that was pretty special. No, it was a fun weekend, you know, some late nights out. Not too much sleep, especially less sleep for some of us. But yeah, it was uh, it was a fun weekend. <laughs> you you are insistent with this. <laughs> yeah, it was good fun. The arc was good. Um, maybe not <laughs> the results we had predicted, but um, yeah, there it was. Our, our biggest winner of the arc is that odds wise or. I mean, far off. I would have to imagine that there's not been. I mean, on track it was sixty-eight to one. Uh, you it was hundred to one over the weekend with a lot of British bookmakers. So yeah, big price winner. Now, I, I, we don't have to go into it too much, right? It was a very good race and a good finish, and it's absolutely flown home to win. I think it's the deserving. It was the best horse on the day, no doubt about that. And I do think there is a temptation sometimes to dismiss races when there are major upsets and to try and then say that they aren't good. But Sam, you and I had a conversation about it uh, yesterday. There's now talk that will be just retired to stud. I think if there is, and a lot of the takeaway from this is that not enough credit is given to German racing and that people don't have the correct level of respect for, for racing in Germany. If they want... German racing to be taken seriously, then you have to keep the horse racing post a big win so that we it's not possible to just say, well, it, they were tough conditions. He sprung a surprise on a few people and then retired and never got to prove that it wasn't a fluke. Well, I mean, the thing that actually I want to mention was in our preview your big stat A that you had is no horse has ever won without winning a group one. And we were kind of eliminating horses who, you know, lower down the list odds wise had never won a group one. And I guess we never made it to lead Tasso or Torquato or Tasso or whatever. Um, But it has won group ones. And that was kind of one of the things it's, we kind of overlooked the fact that it was a group one winning horse, albeit that was in Germany, but it's still a group one winning horse. And, it had come second to Alpinista, which is a, a, a pretty good horse on its day. Um, so it, it did have some form, you know, when, when you look at it, and it did at least tick that box of having won that group one race. Yeah, and obviously the form of that race behind Alpinista has now worked out tremendously well because since then the first three in that race have all subsequently won another group one. So that form looks incredible. But still, I don't think it's an undeserving winner. And it clearly came, was underrated, perhaps, coming into this race. I mean, when you hear Ryan Moore, for example, speaking about it post-race, that's sort of what he felt. But 
it's a little bit like when we speak about the problems with, say, the Derby, where we've had lots of winners in recent years who then haven't gone on to do anything special. So you want the horse to stay in training to prove that this wasn't a one-off and it wasn't a fluke. Otherwise, it's kind of easy to dismiss it as just, well, there was a lot of rain and there's a lot of horses in behind that would say they would have won had there been less rain, which is fundamentally the storyline that all the other major players in the market are spinning. With Tarnarwa, it's what Weld is saying. Uh, Appleby feels as if uh, that was the case basically with both of his major horses. So you have feelings from other trainers, even with even uh, Snowfall. O'Brien implied that it was just a little bit too soft and felt as if she'd traveled well over the course of the race and was well positioned and just wasn't able to pick up in the right way. So hopefully, you know, go for it again. I hope to see an arc next year with sort of the five or six major players in the market reappearing. And then we get to see if it was a fluke or not. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, from what I've read, Hurricane Lane and Adea are going to stay in training as four-year-olds. So those would be two that would definitely come back. Um, but I, I think I was a little confused, Eddie, when I saw that the going and I saw it was heavy. I mean, meteorologist Eddie Hewitt told me on the preview that there wasn't much rain and you don't expect it to rain so much in between those two days that it would get heavy. And I mean, what's is this the end of your meteorology career, Eddie? I don't know. Before it's even <laughs> before it even kicked off the ground. Yeah, I mean, I, I did repeatedly say that I'm not a meteorologist. And the torrential downpour. Oh, you're just humble. You're just humble, Eddie. The, the torrential down, <laughs> Yeah, the torrential downpour that I said needed to come in order for the going to change came. And in particular, on the morning of the racing. <laughs> I mean, it came for about 15 minutes. <laughs> while Sam and I were outside. <laughs> so, but, you know, like there was a lot of rain Saturday evening, Saturday night, Sunday morning. And, you know, that was, that was enough. But... There was a lot of dispute on Saturday. I don't know if you saw that, but for the racing on Saturday, multiple different bookmakers, media outlets were reporting the going in different ways. I saw a whole range on Saturday of everything from good to soft, as in not good to soft, but the full range of some people saying good and some saying it was soft. And I mean, that's I, there were people on social media complaining a lot because obviously that changed in particular, say Stradivarius's chances in the in the cadre. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting. I was I was reading about it as well. How a lot of people say that it's kind of slowly ending this kind of dominance of three year olds in the arc as well. So you look at like recent winners. You've got kind of um, Takeda Tasso was four. Scott Sass was four. Walt Geist was five. Enable was four. Granted, Enable was three before that as well. But when you look at like the early 2000s, it was basically only three-year-olds that won it as well. So a lot of people are saying that kind of the three-year-old dominance of this race is starting to break as well, which is an interesting way of looking. Because whenever I've seen kind of previews of, of arcs, they've always said stay away from like five-year-olds and like kind of older horses and stay a, a bit younger. But um, yeah, quite an interesting point to there to add as well. Yeah. And then there's obviously the chance you would expect if a lot of them do stay in training next year, then it will be a very strong four-year-old class that you would expect to be headed towards the arc. So some pretty spectacular three-year-olds will have to emerge in order for them 
to suddenly to put themselves in real contention at the top of the betting market. But so you think next year's arc will be the best ever? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'll say this: if I don't think Chronogenesis will come back, just because Chronogenesis will be six, and it seems you usually get the sort of one shot as a big foreign raider to come in and, and give a go. I think if you're telling me that the winner and say three of the other top five in the betting are all back, then and then you'd have to imagine that one or two three-year-olds put themselves in the running, then you might be able to then start to argue that it is because not only then do you have good horses, but you have horses that have proven themselves over multiple seasons and also have have done it. You know, I think a lot of people will have come out of that come out of that feeling good about themselves post arc, even though they didn't win. Tonarwa probably feels, you know, Weld will feel better about Tonarwa now. And same with Hurricane Lane. But now we had a good weekend. We uh had a couple big nights out. We had the racing. We nearly went to the racing on the Saturday. There was we were debating I actually probably shouldn't share the way we were contemplating going to the racing on Saturday publicly, just because we might also want to take advantage of it in the future. So I don't think it's a good thing to just put out there. But yeah, we had and then the Premier League, college football, and then a big night out watching watching the NFL on Sunday. I mean, for Sam, that must be the most NFL you've packed into an evening in, you know, you packed a lot in this weekend, but that must have been, you know, a real focus on football for a Sunday. Yeah, it really was actually. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, will I'm say surprised probably... you were able to get that much in. I mean, it sounds like it was a lot to get in and you definitely, you know, it took some effort, but it sounds like you got it in. Yeah. That's why I had to go over into the second day. No, I mean, he's, you know, obviously I multitask better than I thought. And was also just, you know, because red zone can be intimidating for a lot of people. You had, we were in a bar with maybe seven screens on plus red zone. So their games were, you know, there was distractions all over the place. So, you know, he, he was able to, to pack in everything that he would have wanted and, and really come away from it enjoying his Sunday night. Very much so. I can, I can confirm that a lot, actually. Um, first time I've ever watched a full college game. I will say that like I, I haven't needed to in a way, like I'll just watch any highlights if there's big games or discussion points. But um, first time I watched a college game, it's... Um... Did, did anyone else come with you? <laughs> Not on the Saturday. Saturday, college football, <laughs> it was just the two of us. But uh, Sunday, Sunday we had a good crowd. I, we went post-races to a bar uh, that sort of as you get back into Paris. So there was a big, it was an interesting mix. I've been there before post-arc, but an interesting mix inside because you had a, a lot of Irish and English people there just from the races who were still there. You also then had people who normally go there on a Sunday to watch the NFL. You had the City-Liverpool match on when we arrived, so we had the ending of that. And then you could also tell the differences because most of the screens had the NFL on then subsequently, and then one screen was just dedicated to random sporting events that this group of Irish people were betting on. So <laughs> that screen 
never showed anything that anyone else wanted to watch, but it was interesting trying to figure out exactly what they were betting on. But so I guess a big Sunday, I guess. Stuff. There were some big major talking points from the weekend's NFL. I don't know where we want to start. Do we want to start with sort of how the Sunday finished with the, the Patriots, Tom Brady's return to New England? And the yeah, field I mean, goal? Yeah, he uh, he played well, but obviously was very got very lucky with the field goal hitting the upright. Had that been Vinatieri back in Brady's day, Brady could have. I thought Brady was there. I thought Brady was mediocre. He was good. He actually kind of kept stalling inside the sort of thirty thirty five, and so they missed a lot of opportunities to really pull ahead in the game. He didn't play badly, but it wasn't exactly faultless. Now, do you think that's because this was a big talking point pregame? Do you think that has to do with Belichick? knowing probably better than anyone what to try to do against Brady to slow him down and doing that? Mm, no, I just think, yeah, he's relied pretty heavily on Gronk so far this season. He didn't have Gronk. I think that was a big miss for them as just the kind of pressure release valve that he can have and know that it's always available. And also Gronk has been super active for them in the red zone. So they lost probably what has so far this season been their biggest red zone threat, which is where they started to struggle in that match. I mean, I think Belichick will come out of that feeling he he did well. It was a well-coached game from his perspective up until I think he got the final decision wrong to go for the field goal. I think asking your kicker to attempt a 56-yard field goal in the rain when actually you were moving the ball pretty well on offense and you had a fourth and three, I think they had a better chance of picking up that fourth and three than they did of kicking the 56-yard field goal. But as usual, that's very much outcome-based analysis. But I also, what I didn't love about attempting the field goal, there were 55 seconds left anyway, and the Bucks had two timeouts. So even if you kick the field goal, go up one, you're then telling Tom Brady, you got basically as unlimited time fundamentally to go... 40, 45 yards to give yourself a, then a shot of, of winning it. So that's why I don't love the call, even if you get you the see, field goal. Did you see Belichick's reasoning, though? He, he, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of fair. So basically he's saying that, um, look, I think they were like two for nine on third down conversions. They had no rushing game going. So if they were going to go for four and four on the, the four and three, it was going to have to be a passing option anyway. And it was like, there's probably no guarantee because of the way you haven't been confirming. But A, I kind of agree with you. B, Mac Jones had actually been throwing the ball really well. I think there was something like he had... I know you were impressed by it. You wouldn't stop talking about it during the Bucks game. You were just heaping <laughs> praise on Mac Jones. I couldn't make you the benefits of The benefits of extended highlights, I guess, is probably the thing that worked <laughs> Oh, were you distracted it during that time? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought watching, he just uh, kept talking about the tight end. <laughs> yeah, the Gronk was a big miss. <laughs> but... <laughs> but 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 yeah, the, uh, Mac Jones completed was it like nineteen straight passes going yes. into the Bucks o- secondary. Also, right, the Bucks second we're missing basically everyone from their secondary. So I think there's context to consider there. I wouldn't have gone for it, but I mean, I would have gone for it. But now the real question that came up as a result of this, and I know Frank, you love a little bit of trivia. 
who was the last rookie quarterback to beat Tom Brady? So you got to factor in, right? He played. I'll give you the one clue. He's not, he's not lost to a rookie quarterback at the Bucks yet. And then obviously, right, Belichick has that dominance over rookie quarterbacks historically. So not been many. Tough. Um, rookie QB. Mm. Lamar Jackson. Nope. Would you like a clue? Could, could yeah. Could I? Okay, have wait, to click, is it, and then I'll see if wait, my wait, guess goes it, with it. Is it in um, division rival? It is a. That, he was playing uh, on a divisional team at the time. Yes. So I was going to say like the Jets with Sanchez. I remember when I started watching it, I'm pretty sure he was like a pretty promising rookie at the time. Surprising that Mark Sanchez caught your eye there, Sam. But But no, um, it was not Mark Sanchez. Okay. Um, It's not Josh Allen. Um, Because that was too recent. I mean, the Jets went through a lot of QBs. It's not Darnold. He was seeing ghosts. Um, who else did they have? Do you is want it the, the Jets? It is the Jets. Do you want the year? It's probably not going to help. 2013. He was a second round pick. I give up. Geno Smith. Oh, yes. Geno Smith. Good old Geno Smith. Currently a backup on the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, surprising he's still in the NFL. Yeah, he's been he's been with the Seahawks for a couple years. He's just he's got that good sweet spot right of just could hang around there forever as long as they keep Russell Wilson as being someone who might be able to come in. And kind of do a Russell Wilson imitation if they really need someone to. I guess that's an interesting transition to the Seahawks, who put in a pretty good performance against the Niners. Niners started pretty well, but then the Seahawks yeah. really bossed that game for most of the rest of it. I mean, I, for me, I think if Garoppolo doesn't get injured, I think the Niners win that game. I mean, you look at the stats for Trey Lance and they speak a little too much for what he actually did. I mean, he had that one pass of, what, 60 yards to Samuels? I think like uh, 70. Was, yeah. I mean, there was no one within – I think they said it was the most open a receiver's been all season, according to, like, next-gen stats. I think it was 16 yards was the nearest person. So when you take away that and you watch most of that game – he didn't play exceptionally well, and I think Jimmy G was clearly playing better, especially that first drive. The Niners came out, looked like they were going to crush it, and then they kind of stalled from there. But I think if you had Garoppolo, you get maybe two more of those drives in the second half, and I think they would maybe win or at least not give the Seahawks more opportunities You know, with three and outs and, and stalled drives that the Niners were getting. So, I, I mean, I wasn't – not impressed with the Seahawks, but I wasn't overly impressed. I still think they are what I think they are. Oh, so now you're stealing my lines? <laughs> yes, you are lying. <laughs> <laughs> so then I guess oh, 
do we go to the the most impressive team from the weekend? Which well, I mean, the number one team in the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, I said I hate. I don't think there's the best team in the NFL right now. We don't really do power rankings. We did put the Rams at number one. If you were forced to, I think obviously. Not that this is WWE or boxing. They haven't taken that belt from the Rams, but certainly they put themselves there for now. And there's a pretty good chance they can hold it for a while. Obviously, they've got San Francisco next. If they win that, then they start to seriously make a strong case for themselves as, as Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, I mean, they looked good. And it wasn't it wasn't one of those games where yeah, I, I think they were the better team, I, to, to put it a different way. I mean, I, I don't think they were outplayed at all. I think they had a better offense, and their defense was able to slow down Stafford, definitely gave him some trouble. He didn't look as good as he has. Um, but that offense, no one seems to be able to stop it. I mean, they're averaging, I think now, 33, 34 points a game. They're like the Chiefs, but with a better defense now. Yeah, I think the concern for them, right, is that we saw them do this at the start of last season, and then they fell off a cliff. A large part of that was because Murray got hurt. But they got a lot of players in that team who I'd be a little bit worried about their ability to be healthy in the long term. And so that's the big question mark right now. And when it works, it looks amazing. I mean, when when things are clicking for them, it's hard to see how a team can beat them because, I mean, you saw even on, you know, every time you watch him, just his ability. And, and you know, it was interesting because he had obviously had Seattle and Arizona playing at the same time. I think you get a kind of similar experience from both Murray and Wilson in that they just make those plays where you think you have them dead to rights and then they just get away. And not only is it not a sack, so it turns into a 35-yard play. 40 yard play and it's just it's a backbreaker because you can have it third and eight and think oh here we go this is going to be a seven yard sack it's going to be a punt and instead oh no now they're in the red zone and i think that's what's really tough psychologically to go up against them but yeah he's, he's very impressive at the moment yeah and i think what's nice there too is similar to wilson he's maturing in the sense that even when he's trying to force those big plays, he's not making turnovers off of them or not making mistakes. You know, whereas two years ago, he was doing that same thing and eluding DNs and linebackers, but then throwing into a stupid double coverage and getting an interception or fumbling it because he's holding the ball out too far. He seems to have cleaned that part up, kind of how Russell Wilson is, is really good with the ball. So that's really encouraging, I think, for them. My worry is... I've said it before, he's a small guy with a small frame. And when you are running around like that, you're going to take hits and one bad hit. And when I think if Murray goes, this team is done. I don't think you have someone that can pick up the offense and be as electric as he is and win you games like he is. No, I think that's the the big risk over having a quarterback who is, is as unique and dynamic as he is. Same with Wilson. You are putting yourself in a position, you know, the nice thing about having someone like Tom Brady or Jimmy Garoppolo or whoever it is 
is yes, you might have your backup not be as good, but in the very least, they should be able to play in the same way and have the same role. And no, I mean, Murray goes out, they're toast. But yeah, he, he is now five to one favorite to win the MVP. You have Mahomes at six to one, second favorite, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Josh Allen's third in the betting. Tom Brady's fourth in the betting. I give that zero chance. And then you have Aaron Rodgers, Herbert, Prescott, Stafford, kind of all there and thereabouts. Looking at those odds, I I think I like Josh Allen. A lot of that will come down to what happens this weekend. But if the Bills beat the Chiefs, I think he'll then, he could switch to being favorite this weekend, even if Murray puts in a good performance. Conversely, if the Bills lose to the Chiefs, he might be out of the running. Yeah, and I think that is another kind of segue to the Chiefs cleaning things up and and winning and playing better and how they should, and the Bills continuing to steamroll. I know it's the Texans, but 40-0 to against any team is impressive. Yeah, I guess. Maybe not that impressive as the it's the Texans who you just destroyed as a franchise over the past 12 months. But yeah, it's still, it's still good. But no, I mean, this to this weekend, this weekend overall, right? We're going to know a lot more about, because you just have these weird results that I'm still struggling to process. And like the Packers, I guess you just have to throw out their week one performance. Otherwise they've looked pretty good. It, there's the Bills, I guess, the same in that loss to the Steelers. It's kind of difficult to try and reconcile what we saw in week one from them and what we saw in week one with the Steelers from now what we're seeing. I mean, that just looks like a, a horrific loss. I think this weekend will answer a lot of those questions because we'll know, you know, are the Bills seriously legit? I mean, they're definitely a contender. They've proven that in the recent seasons, but have they pushed themselves potentially ahead of the chiefs? And then at the same time, you know, the NFC West will maybe start to, well, the NFC West might even become, it will either become more confusing this weekend or it could start to sort itself out. It will be more confusing if the Niners now beat the Cardinals. Then I just don't know what we're doing with this division because it's just going to be everyone beats everyone and 10 teams wins it, 10, 10 wins win it but now i don't know if you have a strong opinion on the what's seemingly the most controversial moment of of sunday when the ravens decide to decided to run the ball with three seconds left to pick up the three yards they yards they needed to hit the hundred yard mark which was i think the 46th consecutive game in which they've had a hundred yards at least a hundred yards of rushing which ties them for the NFL record and a massive fall, fallout out of that with it being called classless as the team that cares about the stats, Harbaugh kind of admitting the fact that they did it on purpose, but also saying, so what? Like there's three seconds left. Why not go for it? I don't know if you had any opinions on how bad it was, if it mattered, if it's a storm in a teacup, teacup. Is it like, 
so they're they're kind of liking it to showboating in in essence. They're basically saying like, look, we've already beaten you. It's easy. We're just going for our own records here and our own like prestige of being a team that's done this. So there's no consideration for the Broncos fundamentally. Is is that kind of the point they're getting at with why they're livid? Yeah. So I I can't <clears throat> I can't remember the exact stat, but it was something along the lines of in the past fifty years, a team that was up. 17 points or more so more than two scores with under 20 seconds left they're one of only two teams ever to attempt a run or a play other than kind of just kneeling down or taking the ball and just sitting there they're the only ones that have attempted a rush and or gained rushing yards i think it was so it's it's clear that no one does this except them. And I mean, to me, I think the easy answer is from what we've seen over the years, especially in Michigan, the hardballs are assholes. That's easy explanation. The hardballs are just assholes. <laughs> Bottom line. I mean, look, they got, they got beat pretty bad, right? And I think the Broncos, this is maybe just me coming from it from a European aspect, but I just don't see it. I don't get this. Like, oh, that's arrogant kind of thing. Like, I, I'm used to it in football where um, or soccer where, you know, people will do tricks in a corner when they're at the end of it, which is arrogant. But no one's going to sit there and go, oh, this is disgusting. This is a classless display. I just think it's a very reserved American thing to be annoyed in this scenario. Um, like, it doesn't matter what the Ravens run, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, it's difficult to compare football, right, which is a fluid game because... The, the the stronger parallels are obviously to rugby. I think still in rugby, you wouldn't have... The thing that bothers me about it is it's such a meaningless record. That's what really... I didn't even know that this was a record that they were approaching. And no one cares. And so what bothers me about that is it just is stat tracking. And I would find that... I would find that stupid in any sport i think that's the thing i don't care about it it doesn't strike me as classless because it's just it's meaningless it's meaningless for the broncos that they ran this it's meaningless for the ravens that they achieved it and the only thing that's dumb about it is i mean someone could have got hurt and and from the ravens perspective that's what's stupid is you could have had lamar jackson blow out his knee trying to get this record no one cares about and your Super Bowl chances could have gone out the window because whoop-de-doo you had 100 yards rushing shouldn't shouldn't the Broncos take more like kind of heart from the fact that they restricted a Ravens a team that does run really well they restricted them to well 102 I guess but you know like was it just under just over three yards a carry like I know that still seems pretty good but for this Ravens team like, yeah, I'd, I'd say the Broncos should take heart from the fact that defensively they stopped the Ravens' but, running game pretty well. Well, yeah, no, I think the Broncos' defense will be telling themselves that now. Same time, maybe if their offense had done a little bit more, then the defense would have been tested oh, yeah. a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a good defensive performance for sure. Now, what else uh, from from the weekend in the NFL? Really, in. Most things sort of, I guess, the big upset, right? The Titans losing to the Jets. We spoke about in our preview for the weekend that the line felt weird, that there was no reason to really think 
even though the Titans were missing their two main wide receivers. There was no real reason to think that they should be losing to the Jets, but the line implied that it was a closer game than you would have thought, and that kind of made it look like it could be a trap game, which it's very dumb to think something might be a trap game just because the odds feel strange, but turned out it was a trap game. And, I mean, for the Titans, they'll probably get away with it because their division is so bad that they're, they don't have to be that good to make the playoffs. They continue to be firmly trash-adjacent in my assessment of how good they are, but really bad performance. Only bright side for me was a lot of people went out in my Survivor Thanks to the Titans, the Titans I was losing. Just about a Valsa. and the Saints losing, and the Giants winning. Yeah, the Giants this... winning, Eddie. Yeah, sure, but but yeah, those two, those two, those were the the most popular pick of the week was the Bills, which obviously makes sense. They were what sixteen and a half point favorites, but after that, the Titans and the the Saints were the two most popular. Yeah, I I cannot believe the Jets held on i i just felt like they were going to lose that game in true jets fashion and i give zach wilson credit he didn't play the greatest game but in the fourth quarter he had a lot of good plays and had a lot of good drives to win them that game so that was and that was encouraging i think if you're a jets fan to see that it's not all doom and gloom that there may be some light at the end of the tunnel if two three years from now you can actually get a good enough roster around him and he's still alive. Yeah. And also obviously the jets hadn't won a game in a long, you know, they're not winning a lot of games at the moment. Just nice as a jets fan to, to feel what it's like to win again. So I don't think they're going to win many between now and the end of the season. Uh, but now here's my I question. Mean, the one person's got to feel really bad out of all this, right? The lions are now at serious risk of ending up with the worst record in the NFL, which means Jared Goff, who has gone from a Super Bowl contender to a terrible team, now may find himself as a sort of unwanted quarterback on a bad team, just in the Jimmy Garoppolo situation, doing the job until he's able to you know, until the the backup, the kind of high draft pick is ready to take over. But the, the rookie quarterbacks, we spoke about the fact that they hadn't looked good up until now. He looked good. Lawrence looked good. Mac Jones, I think, probably looked the best of them this weekend. They, Fields they, also won. Yeah. Yeah. That was a weird game, though. I mean, right. the, fa- the fact that the Lions had three the first three possessions got into the red zone and came away with no points just kind of a weird weird game so we discussed who potentially is the best team even though we don't do power rankings who do you still feel is the worst team in the nfl going into week 17 you have to play one team who do you want to play i still think the jags I know Jags. The, he said, not the yeah, Jets. the Jags. No, the Jags. Jags. I know they pushed the Bengals close, but it was a Thursday. It was Thursday night football. I don't know. You know, I don't think the Bengals are that good anyway. So mm. it's like, okay, you pushed 
a kind of okay team close. Yeah. I think yeah. I encouraging signs for Lawrence in that performance, but I still think they're probably the worst team. Yeah. And I mean, they might be the worst team, but they have the coach that can grind a random woman on the dance floor the best, apparently. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that. But Urban Meyer, you didn't see this? This is all the news this morning. Urban Meyer, after the game, went out because he had family where they where, who, where they play again. I can't think of it now. Cincinnati, Ohio. That's right. He was in Ohio because that's where originally he's from. So he had family in Ohio, so he stayed and went to a bar with family and friends. And then there was a random other group of people that were kind of pulling him out to dance and take pictures. And there's, there's this video of like him and a woman dancing quite inappropriately on the dance floor and it's been released. And there's been a, um, the owner of the Jaguars released a statement saying that he's extremely disappointed um, and that he needs to do better. And apparently there's been reports that Meyer has completely lost the locker room, like the respect in the locker room and he has no credibility and he had to come out today in a press conference and say, that he aims to get everyone's trust and respect back and he has to rebuild and uh, everything that he lost in this moment of whatever he called it. I forget, but yeah, pretty interesting from a coach who's already on the hot seat to now have this going on. It's not, it's not helping his situation in Jacksonville for sure. That's it's kind of funny. I mean, in, in terms of worst teams as well, I think the Texans are there, but you know, Eddie with the Jags makes sense as well because both of them just have complete turmoil around them, but at least the Texans have won something. But um, yeah, the Texans, the thing would be, okay, next week I'd want to play the Texans, but the Texans at least have, if they have, if they get a bit healthier, if they have a competent quarterback playing again, then I think they might be better, but you're right. If I'm if I gotta play a game next weekend, then I I want it to I want it to be the Texans. Davis Mills, I think, had one of the worst statistical performances uh in the history of NFL quarterbacking, they said. His QBR was like 0. 0.5 or something crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's not going well for him. He he should enjoy the time he's getting in he's- the NFL. Because he's not going to get much. That sounds sounds more like a threat. (laughs) He should enjoy that Stanford win from his alumni. Or as an alumni. I'm just watching the Urban Meyer video. Not a good look, right? (laughs) It's, It's not a good look. Regardless of the fact that he's... Even if he hadn't been married... It's not a good look for a man of his age. Yeah. I'll say that. He's at least at least being conservative 35 years older than her. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it's just the awkwardness of how he's like, it, he's holding her like a rabbit. <laughs> he kind of like how you would have sex with a rabbit. <laughs> how, wait, how, how you would have sex with a rabbit, Sam, or... Oh yeah, bad sentence. How rabbits have sex. <laughs> yeah, I've... I'm a bit concerned that you've previously put thought into how you would have sex with a rabbit, but 
I guess times have maybe been difficult during the pandemic. So from one former college football coach, maybe we can transition to another former college football coach, and that is Ted Lasso. The season is coming to an end. This episode finally revealed where what was going on in the championship table. So we finally know. And surprise, surprise. <laughs> they're going to go up. We've just gone from like Christmas to one game left. No, no, no. They must be second. Because the commentator said they're one win away from automatic promotion. So if it's in their own hands, they must be second in the table. So, so yeah. We only got a glimpse. So you were, you were spot on, though, about not having them get into the playoff yeah the fa cup run confusing now unless next episode they are going to ram the entire playoff experience into a single episode (laughs) which would be incredible but now it looks as if which also means they must win the final match of the season because either they're going to start the following season in the playoffs or they're getting knocked out in the first round of the playoffs I guess is the other possibility and they could pack that into a single season, but interesting episode continued in this pursuit of making Nate the least likable character in TV history. It seems as if that's oh one of the God, they are ruining <laughs> his kind of good attitude style, aren't they? But another thing that they continued on as well is just having tons of plot lines randomly start and finish. Like we've we're one episode off, and we've got Sam, like potentially like leaving to go to Raja Casablanca. Can we start there? Can we okay. just <laughs> run through plot line by plot line? Okay. So, Wait, I just, so we'll start. I with have Sam. one thing to say with that one. So overall, I didn't didn't love the plot line, but he's playing on a championship league team. Surely there have to be better African players than him, that he's the most sought after African player on the planet. I I didn't see that. It would be surprising, I have to say. Uh, I don't think there are many players in the championship who would be the most sought after player from their country, let alone their continent. Uh, But, I mean... Particularly right, he's going Casablanca, so he's buying a club in North Africa, which would mean you would assume that Salah as an Egyptian, now this is obviously a fictional universe, so maybe Mo Salah doesn't exist, but as an Egyptian would be more tempting. Uh, Manio Sane would be more interesting would be a more a higher profile name still if he's a, if he also exists in the universe. But yeah, that is now I guess the argument would be that he gained fame and respect out of the the oil move. And so that's part of the reason why this somewhat unusual billionaire has decided that he wants him to be part of this project of making the world a better place. None of that plot makes sense. I'm not an expert totally. I had part of my career where I was focused on Africa. I wouldn't exactly call myself an expert on African accents and dialects. I did find it slightly bizarre that it just seems as if 
they brought a Ghanaian in who sounded exactly like the Nigerian character. And it seemed as if they were just like, everybody do African accents and no one will really know what you're supposed to sound like anyway. But the plot line doesn't make sense. For starters, he's not that rich by football owner standpoint. They said he'd inherited $1.2 billion. Now, $1.2 billion, you're going to be rich enough to buy any club in the championship, but you're still not exactly... You wouldn't be getting the biggest seat at the table when it came to football owners. Well, considering how like brazen he is with his spending of money... I mean, he rented out what was the Natural History Museum in Britain and put actors in it and then did exactly the same for a cafe and bought it just to stage getting Sam. I mean, he's not going to have much money very quickly. I thought was it was it 12, 12 billion. Was it 12 billion? Okay. No, I don't remember how much. Okay, maybe. I thought it was anyway. like 11.7 billion or something. Okay. Enough anyway. that enough that he won't run out of money doing that two or three times. Cuz he he's three. got to recruit a whole team, right? Yeah, exactly. So he's so got to get in. at least 15 players. Yes. <laughs> he's got to do this for. Yeah. Also Sam's just right. He'd run out of money if he only had a billion. <laughs> but also, but also just it's in... just when he turned up in a helicopter as they were training, <laughs> what if they were? Tra- was he still going to land if they were training? Like, what was the problem? I also thought he said he didn't travel with bodyguards. Yet in the first scene, there's like fifty bodyguards. Rolling. Yeah, a whole fleet of cars <laughs> arrived just for security purposes. But I mean, and just look again, it's one of those things. It's not supposed to be an accurate representation of football, but it's definitely not how you go about buying a player and. It would be, yeah, I mean, it just, none of it makes sense. He has, doesn't even own the club yet. Like, I mean, there's nothing about it makes any sort of sense. The possibility, the concept that someone thinks, I mean, who are Casablanca going to be playing? They're just, if he had even said, hey, my, my goal is that I think we could try and turn the club into being big enough to maybe be in La Liga, that you know, you're not that far away from Spain, and maybe you could try and create this North African, really great club that then has to go through the Spanish. This would be insane. But instead, he's just like, "Oh, I'm going to bring the best African footballers into the world in the world to Casablanca." Which it would be a bit like telling me as a European, "I want you to come back to Europe. I'm going. I want you to move to Kiev so that you're back home in Europe." I mean, the cultural similarities between Casablanca and Lagos are slim to none. And so there's that part of it that bothers me. And then also, so he's going to assemble the Harlem Globetrotters of African football and then just make them play semi-professional footballers every week. (laughs) Yeah, there's absolutely nothing there. Because you would just play in the Moroccan league for for most of it, unless yeah, you're which gonna, I'm, unless which, you're Harlem yeah, trotting them, and they just go around the world playing exhibition matches. So you play in the Moroccan league. There is the I don't know the name of the African, you know, the equivalent of the Champions League. There is that, but even that, you're not talking at a huge level. The only moment that that club would have a chance to shine is during the World Club Championship, which. Even if he won it, people wouldn't think that. I mean, it's a second-rate competition that's there more as a gimmick than it is anything else, right? So 
I don't it's know. It's the CAF Champions League, by the way. There you go. Well, they could dominate that and no one would care. I mean, some people would care, but not a lot. <laughs> what did you think of the Banksy joke? Um, Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't good. The fact that they turned Banksy into like a buffoon, so I'm just like bumbling. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, here's how the one thing: would it be if that is if Banksy? That is Banksy? Yeah. <laughs> now that's the only. If it is Banksy, then that's interesting. But then, who is supposedly a big Chelsea, a uh, big football supporter? Supposedly, but. Do you think that's how he would announce it on season two Ted Lasso, penultimate episode? Yeah, that's the way to ruin years of committing to being an unknown person. Yeah, that's that's the way to go. <laughs> uh, overall with the episode, though, I mean, just all the Sam plot lines, I can leave them. Yeah, I thought we were going to go plot line to plot, plot line. line. Plot line. Okay, pick the next plot line then. Um, Roy and Keeley. I mean, uh, I was of the opinion that the writing was on the wall for their relationship the moment that I think she will get back together with uh, Jamie Tart. I thought the way it came about, as usual, it just feels like sometimes they are squeezing too many plot lines into a single episode. And so... I guess it's kind of interesting that they went from this encouraging openness about their relationship to her sharing a piece of news that he clearly found to be devastating that will probably, you know, it sets them up for there to be turmoil in the multiple reasons, multiple bits of turmoil within the Richmond dressing room and also for their relationship to come to an end perhaps because of it. I mean, I yeah. go the opposite. I double what? down season finale. He proposes. Oh, no. That's what I thought was going to happen, right? Because I thought he was struck by the fact that he wasn't married when she, because, you know, the, the teacher said, are you married? He said, no, he got the notification on his phone. And then he's like, I got to go. And I thought they were staring into each other's eyes this photo shoot and he was going to say you know the teacher asked me if i was married i said no and i thought to myself why am i not married and then proposes that's what i thought was going to happen and instead i did not go that deep (laughs) no i kind of thought that too but i still think (laughs) sorry no you think it's going to you think it's going to not happen and then he will eventually at the end of this season propose Maybe. We'll be set up for a big fight ending in a love fest. But what what like a what like an orgy? <laughs> yeah, a threesome with Jamie Tart, yeah. What about Nate though? I mean and Nate. Nate clearly wants to be involved with Nate. He'll just he'll just spit on them for lube. Oh, that was weird. What, <laughs> that was Nate weird. is reaching the level on this show that if I were to see him on the streets, I might just slap him in the face. He is becoming such an unlikable character that it's spanning 
like the most unlikable characters I've watched on television shows. And it's interesting, right? Because he is, he started out being so likable. And when I've seen him elsewhere, that is, if you want to say he's kind of typecast as the lovable loser, but that is sort of his kind of a bit bumbling, but intelligent, but nice, but always lacking confidence. That is whenever I've seen him, that is what he's doing. So maybe as an actor, he likes this, transformation because it will make people think of him as someone who can play a different type of role but he runs the serious risk that this is by far and away the most famous thing he's ever done potentially career defining if the show continues to grow and runs for six seven eight seasons and yes people will just think of him as man you were the guy who really sucked on that show the spitting thing like we already discussed i I know yeah that's that's got to hit the highest of Eddie's annoyances. Well, but you wouldn't all... do that, Eddie. Would you not also, do that if you if you just Eddie would spit someone? on the ground? I don't spit in general ever, but, but... <laughs> just only when he's disgusted wait, wait. himself in the mirror. <laughs> I, I want to timeline his trajectory on this show. Season one, he's the kit man and gets beat around on the team, and no one respects him. Absolutely no one. In comes Ted Lasso, boosts his self-esteem, his abilities, whatever you want to call it, to the point that he gets self-confident. He then gets promoted at the end of season one with a newfound self-confidence and self-worth. Season two starts. He's instantly an asshole. From the first episode you see him, he's ripping on the new kit man. He's yelling at the players like crazy. He's screaming at them. Halfway through the season, he makes a random good call in a match and it becomes a wonder kid, takes that level of fame to new heights, starts to spit on mirrors, then goes behind Ted Lasso's back. In this episode, has that meltdown in the locker room about how he'll make the greatest call ever and... Ted Lasso won't give him recognition when that's completely out of Ted Lasso's character because if Nate told him to do something and it worked, he would 100% give Nate all of the credit, like more than all of the credit. He'd go well, like I above guess, and beyond and say like, Nate was just, telling me to do this for years. <laughs> I guess the point would be internally, he might get all the credit, but externally, the credit would go to Ted Lasso. The counterpoint, externally, but, but the counterpoint would be that he had a whole week where he was labeled a wonder kid and referred to it in multiple newspapers. So <laughs> even then you'd be able to point and say only a couple of months ago, you had a huge amount of external credit for yeah. parking the bus. So yeah. Don't. yeah. Well, for this but, terrible thing, cause that was the thing he was going to do it a false nine, but Frank, you've also missed, he's exposing someone's mental health issues to the media. Like yeah. that is the ultimate like down on the arc as well. Like it isn't just that bad. He's, he's full on, like he's just become like feral. And where does he think that in half a year you go from kit man to assistant coach to head coach of a premier league club in, in the span of, well, he's not an assistant coach, right? He's, he's a first team coach. Because Coach Beard okay. is is clearly the assistant manager. If you if so, you he's going to from say. Kitman to first team coach to head coach of a. I mean, obviously they're they're 
championship, but they're close to being a, like a Premier League club. No, I mean, in the what idea planet of, does anyone do that? <laughs> well, none. Although I guess maybe in Ted Lasso because Ted Lasso became a manager of a Premier League club, but I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why he's so pissed. He saw Ted's trajectory <laughs> exactly, but. You're right. That's what makes it annoying is it's not as if he's had years waiting for this opportunity. And that would have made more sense as a character if there had been, if Ted Lasso had come in and he'd kept this experienced coach there who felt as if he was consistently providing the technical knowledge that Ted Lasso needed, but was never getting the credit. And then as it was suddenly frustrated of, you know, what, why does this guy get to make the decisions? But instead it's hey, no, this new boss came in, turned me from a nobody into having a really good job, has empowered me all along the way, but I don't like it because I should be getting bigger faster. It's also, they they incorrectly explained what a false nine is. This idea that me, playing with a false nine means that you're playing with no one up front is completely wrong. It just means that the player playing up front drops into midfield more frequently, but it's not as if, the false nine is not a midfield position. So already... Oh, they did make it sound like that. Coach Beard said it, didn't he? It was like, they they pick it up in midfield more, which is true. But yeah. then kind of describes something it as right, well. but does it. No, but no. they make it sound like they're playing like a 4-6-0 yes. rather than like what it actually <laughs> yeah. is. Like, it's kind of like, it's essentially more like a 4-3-3, but the center drops back more. Also, why would you be... If, on an incredible, seemingly incredible run of form, right? That was what the commentary said when their match finished. You're then going into the final match of the season, admittedly against a team that should be tough opposition. They're playing Brentford in the final match. A little bit of a downer for this the the show because obviously they recorded, they made this show before Brentford were promoted, but it doesn't make sense that they're playing Brentford if you're then trying to compare it with real life, not that the show makes a lot of sense anyway. But technically, what must be a difficult match, why would you be coming up with a completely new tactic? It'd be as if like you're making the Super Bowl and your offensive coordinator comes to you and goes like, for this game, we're not playing with any wide receivers. <laughs> I'd love to hear that go full. But you're right. Like, it's hardly like a Mighty Ducks flying V moment. He's just gone, I think we should play a formation that's very well known. Yeah. Like, there's it's, nothing groundbreaking about what he's doing. No. It would have made more sense if he'd come up with a new set, set piece routine or something. But yeah, the idea of, hey, I'm playing this tactic that Barcelona made pretty famous at times with Messi playing as a false nine. You know that? I think we should try that maybe. But but I also really resent the fact that he thinks if he proposed it and that's why they won that Ted wouldn't in the media say that it was Nate's idea because I 100% believe Ted Lasso would give all the credit to where it's due. I mean he's that's his whole MO, right? Is like he puts people in the spotlight when they should be in the spotlight like when um what's his face with the oil spill? He like brought him in to the press conference and made him speak. You know, like he would definitely do the same with Nate. So even that alone is out of character that Nate can't even read the type of person Ted Lasso is. I, I mean, he's just so hateable right now. I mean, you I just, think you the just want to see him just like just disappear from the show. I think the argument would be, well, I think 
we might be about to see that. But I think the argument would be yeah. that Ted Lasso takes zero credit for anything, even when he is responsible. And that would actually be more annoying in some respects because that might undermine the concept of giving credit to other people because maybe everyone says, well, Ted Lasso never gives credit. So he's probably underplaying the significance of what he does. That might be the only thing you could make, but that's not what there are. That's not what they're putting forward, right? But I don't know. It doesn't make sense. And then, yes, obviously there's the big reveal at the end. Interesting exchange from a text message perspective, from a reporter, a little I bit weird. I did like the Trent Krim. Next one, The Independent. That's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> but, I mean, part of it is how big of a storyline would this be in real life if a championship manager had had a, you know, a panic attack or had been hit by anxiety mid-match? I don't know if it would get the attention of the wider world that i don't know if the independent would be running a major story about it i have to say now admittedly ted lasso is that probably has a profile that's a bit bigger just because of his storyline i th- i think if the story had run it would have been it would have been news but it would have been more to strike a debate about being open about that within the sport right as opposed to being like a power struggle for Nate running the story and trying to like get to get to the top. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, genuinely it's... think in real life, if that story was run, the response would be, Oh, that's a shame. I hope he's okay. Uh, you know, and then asking him, do you feel better? There would be a few people who say, who would have asked him maybe, oh, does this mean that you think in high-pressure moments there's a likelihood that it could happen again? I think that would be the only discussion. But I don't think it would – it certainly wouldn't be spun into some, oh, wow, Ted Lasso not fit to be manager of a championship or premiership side because not the way a, Nate would, I, Yeah, not the way Nate would want it to go fundamentally. I, I mean, it would be similar to kind of like what happened with Simone Biles, right? Where she kind of had a very similar situation and it wasn't ripping on Simone Biles. It was addressing, you know, anxiety and high stress levels in sports and mental health issues in general. I I think it would actually be a more positive response than the way Nate is trying to do it because Nate apparently is the biggest asshole in all of England. Um, His last name should be Harbaugh. Maybe, maybe that's it, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's just what, what is the most egregious thing Nate does? The episode do, goes behind his back and gives him that kisses Keely or spits on the glass mirror in the most expensive suit shop in London. <laughs> I think it's the spitting on the mirror because I think the spitting on the mirror, the guy's going to go in there and be like, why is there spit all over the mirror <laughs> i thought the champagne was nice <laughs> and then <laughs> and then he would have messaged keely saying your friends spat all over the mirror in the <laughs> you know what i mean like he would have looked like more of a weirdo out of that and like what weird fetish does he have where he's like getting changed publicly and spits all over something probably the guy would have been like i'm not sure this is spit probably would have been maybe some of his first yeah. thoughts oh. but <laughs> But yeah, three, three really bad moments for him. And I, I, do we think he's out of the? Okay, do we think? As, what? How's what's the Tedler? Is Ted Lasso just because obviously they made him? He looked angry. 
does he react with this just full yeah. of rage? Or is this the moment where he puts his arm around Nate's shoulder, gets a better understanding of his frustration, and they come out stronger for it as a result? Be I think it's going to be that. The The second one would be more fitting of Ted, like regardless. Like remember how he dealt with um, realizing that he was only brought on to see the club fail. Like he was just like, I'm fine with it. And I think he would continue to be fine with it. It would be an interesting twist if Ted suddenly became worse than Nate and was just like everyone out here. Like I don't have Sharon anymore. No, 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 She's no. gone. Sam, Sam, and suddenly Ted, <laughs> suddenly Ted just goes the complete opposite way no. and starts no, getting fuller. That's not a possibility. I think there are two. He could fire him. Yeah, he either gets fired. He either Ted yells at him. Everyone thinks he's a piece of shit. He gets fired, or Ted says. They have a sit heart to heart talk and they get an understanding of why Nate's so frustrated and they Nate Ted fixes Nate, basically. I think it's a possibility. And that Nate then goes back to being a lovable character. And we look back on season two of Ted Lasso being like, what a weird storyline, like story arc they created for this character who they then tried to make us like again. I think that is more likely. I, I think that I think you're hitting home with the major issue though is any way this goes, Nate can no longer be likable. You can't now 180 Nate on me and have me be, you know, oh yeah, he's he's, he's a great guy, he's a good good character, yeah, like he's done. I don't care what they try and do, he's done. Yeah. The only way this makes sense to me is if the actor playing the role needs to leave the show, and they felt like this was the only way of getting him to leave that made any sort of sense. It was like, cause he can't, he can't get fired for any other reason because that's not a Ted Lasso move. And if everyone still loved him and he was the likable person within the dressing room, they would have never got rid of him. They would have done anything to keep him. And so the only thing that could explain turning him into such a dislikable character and then having this happen is that, he needed to be gone end of season two. And this is how they came up with getting rid of him. Yeah, maybe. So I did see in the news that Ted Lasso got the rights to use Premier League's clubs and logos and things like that. So with that information, I believe they're going to make it into the Premier League. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> really? You don't, think they just, you don't think they just paid for those just as a, or just throwing us off the scent? No. Oh, yeah. I mean, that'd be interesting. So I think, they, I think they get promoted. I think Roy proposes to Keeley. And I think Nate dies. <laughs> what do you think <laughs> happens in the Roy Kent, Jamie Tart dynamic? I think they're they respect each other because at, at least Jamie didn't do anything. I, I mean, Nate was worse, and he didn't even have a previous relationship with Keely, and he's still trying yeah, to but, make out with her. But you know, that's you the know, difference. all Jamie did was approach her and say he still has feelings for her, still loved her more think, than just feelings. The I difference is that Nate. The difference, the difference is that Nate isn't a threat. That's yes. why. You know, we've all been in relationships and there's a person where you're like, this person obviously is interested in the person I'm with, but you think it doesn't matter. You can try all you want. You're not a threat here. Versus the Jamie Tart is obviously 
she's previously had feelings for him, previously dated him. They have a history together. And so he is a legitimate threat to whatever Roy Kent has himself. So I could understand the difference of her saying Nate tried to kiss well, Nate kissed me and just thinking, well, what a sad little loser. He's obviously read that wrong. What about Sharon leaving? Did <laughs> that I... doesn't that's the name of the the shrink? The therapist, yeah. The therapist. It doesn't make any sense to me that they've brought her in, they've seen value in what she does, and then they've basically turned around and gone, Ah, eh, that was enough mental health. Yeah, your contract's up and we're not going to renew it. There's no benefit <laughs> yeah. to what you're doing. Because I actually liked it. I liked the whole arc with her. I'm not I wasn't a huge fan of like her character, but I think it's because of what it brought out of Ted Lasso I liked as opposed to the actual like story arc with I her. think they could have done that in without having as significant of an impact on the overall show I think they could have revealed Ted's individual problems more easily but I'm kind of glad to see the back of her but then <laughs> glad to- I mean this is going to bring her this potentially just brings her right back in right This might be the catalyst for why she has to stay because now Ted will feel as if he can't trust people and that's a whole different issue and he needs to still have her around as this sort of guiding hand and safe space that he can have. Well, I think they need her around because she comes in, they're in last place. She turns everyone on the team around. Well, that's and true. Now in first. Yeah, she's pretty valuable. And also, let's yeah. let's not underestimate right, the good. importance Goodbye. of well Higgins as well in all of this. You know, he made that incredible pun that got Ted to come back and get the letter anyway when he said, "Don't let her get away with it." And then he comes back in. I thought I don't know why, but I liked that moment just when he came back and he was so I'm annoyed at like how it. good the pun was. I, I think it's it just Higgins. Good. Higgins has his office back. He's back in the big time. Yeah, because there's only two offices in this in the in the building. Ex Premier League club. Yeah, um, it'll be an interesting one. It'll be interesting to see, and I hope that it ends on a high because I hope it gets me. I was so looking forward to season two coming out. At the moment, the prospect of season three, it's like I'll watch it, but I'm not gonna be. I'm not going to che- I'm not going to be actively checking when's the release date for season 3. Oh, oh cool. That would be nice to have. It'll be more of oh Ted Lasso's back. That's something to watch for 30 minutes of my life a week. Uh, you're a Debbie Downer. It's still <laughs> I think one of the better shows on television. <laughs> All right, Eddie. Do you want to do you want a good question for you? So, um in the same way that they were going to do the end sync bye 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 um kind of uh, what do you call it like dance sync um mm-hmm. for her leaving party. What what would you like for your leaving party? If you were ever going to leave somewhere and someone created a choreography for you, what song would you like? I don't know. What would be the m- most appropriate song to play during a suicide bombing? <laughs> that would be the only thing I would want as a reaction <laughs> oh to a choreographed dance. Um, I have no idea. I I would be, if someone did that for me, someone who recently left a company, well, six months ago, and the extent of the leaving was a few messages on Slack and the gift of a shitty cactus, 
I think. It's a cactus that shit itself? I wish. That would be interesting. Just to, just You should to really... sell that to science. Is it a cactus or a succulent? Uh, I guess more of a succulent than a cactus, yeah. Okay. But it's it's not a nice one. You know, you can get very expensive succulents. It could have been a really nice. And, you know, I could have found a space for that in my house. It would have been a bit annoying, but it was a really crappy one. And now it sits on my desk as a constant reminder of the fact that my previous company didn't really care or learn anything about me in the two and a half years that I was there. But... um, Do you want to unpack that? (laughs) <laughs> shall i shall get, get sharon, sharon we'll get sharon she, she's not she's not with the show anymore true but and i mean speaking of which bumped into one of my former colleagues at the races on sunday that was interesting gave him credit he came up to i didn't see him he came up and spoke to me which was the first time we'd spoken how your succulent is doing no i don't think um, he even um, know that i don't think he, even enough, he got winked one. as well but yeah no, that's what you hope for, Sam. Those are the exact exchanges you dream of. Yeah. Any other? I guess, speaking of Ted Lasso, real-life football, worth just mentioning that, uh, you know, we spoke about, talked a bit in the build-up to the City-Liverpool match. So came out with it. We only caught the final 20 minutes of it, I guess. Something like that, Sam. I've subsequently watched the highlights and... But, you know, it looked like City were on top. It, it was an interesting, a lot of the post-match analysis. We spoke after they beat Chelsea, and everyone said, see, they didn't need Harry Kane because they can dominate matches and take chances. And then after this match, when they dominated in the match but didn't win, a lot of the post-match analysis said, oh, they do need a real goal scorer. So it is one of those, it's so dumb. It changes week to week based on whether or not they've won. But... It sets. It keeps the Premier League. I mean, it's going to be an interesting title race going forward. I do think City will pull away in the end, but it's certainly you know the next few months will be interesting. Yeah, I I, I do think it's kind of kept the feeling of the league bit a bit more like there could be multiple people at the top. Um, whereas if this game, we we obviously had this chat, but if this game had gone to Man City in the way they dominated Chelsea, and I do think when you watch the highlights, like Liverpool. I feel like Liverpool got away with it a little bit. Um, it was more like Man City, like you say, um, unable to hit the target and have that kind of real kind of danger up top. But I think if Man City had won this, I would have not been far off saying, well, there's one winner in it. But now, you know, Liverpool stay in it. Chelsea is still up there because of both of them dropping points. You know, even though Man U have had a pretty rocky couple of games, they're still up there as well. So it, it, it feels like it's going to go further than what I thought if Man City had just dominated this one as well. One of the weird bits of analysis that came out of this match, I don't know if you saw the comments from Michael Owen in a more general response to some of the recent football, but he said that uh, Sancho and Grealish's performances post big transfers was proof that once again, England, you have to pay a, pay a premium for English players and that in watching them, neither of them struck him as players who justified their price tags and that at 80 million and 100 million he thought they were players closer to being worth 25 and 30 million i don't know if michael owen stopped paying attention to transfer fees when he retired from football 
I don't know in what world he thinks you would buy either of those players for 25 to 30 million players, regardless of nationality. Such dumb. It's almost just completely pointless as a comment as well. Cause even like before, like around his time, you had like Rio Ferdinand going for like 28 million from Man U to leave. So sure. I mean, I guess the argument would be Rio Ferdinand was one of the best defenders in the world. So he justified that expense. Whereas Did his take- point would be, Grealish and Sancho may not be amongst the world's elite. The thing is, I think Grealish has been pretty good so far this season for City. I do. You you can you can say some problems with Sancho. Like it has, it's hardly been like the most kind of devastating opening like seven to ten games of the season for you know Sancho's career at Man U. But I think Grealish has been very consistent. He's doing exactly what he did at Villa. He wins possession and he wins fouls and he wins. Um, he basically kind of bosses a midfield in that respect. And I think he's doing it at a bigger club at the moment. So I don't really understand this problem there. You could you could maybe argue a tiny bit more for Sancho, but I, I don't really understand it. I sometimes think as well that we always think, because we see these players week in, week out constantly, sometimes it feels like a higher, sal- um, a higher fee as well, whereby when you see, I don't know, like for example, when... I don't know, man, you bought Cristiano Ronaldo from Lisbon or something like that. You only hear about it. You don't see them week in and week out. So you don't know too much about whether the transfer fee is justified. Whereas I think when you're you mean prior to them in, signing. Yes, prior to them yeah. signing because you don't. It sounds as if you're basically. implying that we didn't get to see Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United for a while. So we didn't know. No, um, no, no, no. If I missaid it. Uh, I mean, I guess that's maybe not because Sancho was at Dortmund and, and most whilst he was on the radar because he played for England, but hadn't played for that much for England. I don't think a lot of people were really watching him at Dortmund, but I think you got to give people time, right? Um, it's very, a little bit like we've discussed with quarterbacks in the NFL. There's this tempting temptation to think that within two, three months, you're either the finished product or proven that you're not good enough. And, you know, Sancho in particular is still a very young player and, at a club where you can only play if you are performing week in, week out, and there's competition for places a lot in the position in which he plays, and it would take a little bit of time for him to... And coming back off the back, even though he wasn't playing that much in the Euros, still obviously didn't have a lot of... Didn't have a big preseason, didn't have time to really get used to being at United and the tactics and the approach. Give I think you give a player a full season... To, and then assess next year, are they, does it look as if they'll be good enough? Yeah. And I mean, let's be honest, man, you have had like an ultimate disruption with Cristiano Ronaldo coming in as well. Not to say that that would hamper Sancho, but clearly a lot of things get moved around for Ronaldo, which, um, uh, did you hear the comments that apparently he kind of stormed down the tunnel after the, um, result against Everton and, um, not really, I haven't really seen it or whether it's kind of substantiated as like whether he just walked down really quickly or actually stormed down. But who it does seem to be this thing with Man U. Like if he's not who playing, cares if they're he's not stor- winning. No, who cares? Do you want him to not be upset when Manchester United oh, don't I win? 100% agree with you. Like if he's annoyed at the result, then that's great. That's what you want from a player, right? No, even if he's, if, I don't care. If he's annoyed with his teammates because they let him down. If he's annoyed with the manager because he thinks he got the tactics wrong. I don't care. You're allowed to show, and and good managers know that. 
and managers who played to talk about it. I mean, you had the big moment right last year when Mane refused to shake Klopp's hand. And Klopp said, who cares? I don't care that he's unhappy with me. I have to make difficult decisions and players aren't always going to like them. And then they're allowed to vent that frustration. And then afterwards we move on because that's how what you do. It's like in being in any job, you're basically asking for these players to just be vapid morons who go out and kick a football around for a while and then walk off with massive smiles on their faces and just sign autographs and you know point to sponsorship deals. I don't want that. Part of what makes Cristiano Ronaldo good is that he really, really, really cares about winning. And part of really wow, caring Sam, about... You a nerve there. No, but I mean, <laughs> just in... Jeez, Sam. Talk about poking the bear. <laughs> but in general, right, we've seen that even with the Tom Brady thing. You know, part of what Tom Brady, why he's still performing at this level is because it really, it doesn't look to me like Ben Roethlisberger is that bothered by the fact that he's just out there ruining Pittsburgh. You know, like when you see him, he looks a little dejected on the, on the sidelines, but it's not as if there's not a, a kind of burning rage within him to continue to perform at the elite level. Whereas you see someone like Tom Brady and you know that there is, you know that there's no way he would just be doing what Ben Roethlisberger is doing and letting it go by. So I hope he's pissed. United haven't been that good in a lot of matches this season. Do you think he spit on the mirror when he got into the locker room? Probably just on Solskjaer. Screw the mirror. (laughs) He, He kissed his wife. (laughs) any other uh, topics from the weekend yeah so I had one did you see DeChambeau competed in the longest drive competition and got seventh which is I mean fairly impressive for a professional golfer to go into something that's completely almost different from golfing right it's 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 almost entirely a different sport the way they're swinging and striking the ball and he got seventh, and his best drive was 406, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's the only one you could think could realistically do it, right? Because I think otherwise, for most golfers, it would be a little bit like when baseball players play in the home run derby, and they say it ruins their swing. And I guess with Deschambeau, just because his normal approach to drives is to just, he's working on getting every inch out of it every time, then I guess he can get away with doing that. But I think for most of them, the changes they'd have to make to their technique, you'd run the risk that it just ruins your season because you're never able to get, you know, you make some adjustments and then you can't adjust back. But then I think the bigger DeChambeau news is was just announced today that he's playing in the match against Brooks Kepka. Interestingly, a 12-hole match play not 18 i don't know why it's only 12 Uh, maybe i actually think maybe because 18 is too long because if you watch some of the other the matches that they have it drags after a while and i think maybe they're trying to find that sweet spot where it's entertaining and fun long enough but not too long that people are bored with it so i mean maybe that's why they're going to do that but i don't know if i like this because Obviously, it means that they're on better terms, and I don't think it'll be genuine in the sense that Brooks Kepka isn't going to say anything negative to DeChambeau, like, like the interaction that happened when he walked by. It's not going to be a genuine dislike. 
anymore. It's going to be, you know, like, oh, what's he going to try and do? Drive it over the green? <laughs> you know, like stupid jokes where it's not like him just being like, God, he's such an asshole. You know, you're not going to hear that. Yeah, I think after the Ryder Cup as well, it's very hard for them now to do anything that would look like continuing with that rivalry because they were obviously not good friends at the Ryder Cup, but obviously they put all the differences aside. I think it would just look quite fake if they went back to what it was before the Ryder Cup. Oh, no, I think it's the opposite. Really? I think it's the total opposite. I think they could come out and be like, I hate him, but I know that when I switch to a team event that you have to perform well and get along with people you hate, but I think he's an absolute asshole. I think you could do that, and I would think, cool. And they'd say next time. They won't. They won't. I'm, no, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying to to Sam's point of, oh, it would look fake to try and re- sort of re-embrace the dislike. I think it would be way more genuine for them to say, we really don't like each other, but when the Ryder Cup rolls around or the President Cup rolls around and we have to be a team, that we can put that aside for one week and be teammates. And we'll probably never be in a foursome together. We're never going to be paired together, but I'm not going to go out of my way to ruin his week so that the team is hurt by it. But every other, you know, so one week, every two years we're competing with each other and the rest of the time and we're competing with each other and the rest of the time I hate him. I'd love that, but it's not, you're right. It's not going to happen. And the only thing that will probably also happen is they'll have some sort of pre-agreed to references to what was going on. So maybe, maybe, Bryson will like sign off on Kepka saying Brooksy or something to him a couple of times, you know, jokingly in what is clearly a pleasant manner. I'm sure that sort of thing might happen, but yeah, we're not going to get That'd real animosity. Like that would be amazing. On, almost like fight in a way. But yeah, I think it's, it ruins the competition between them generally. And also I think the match was more fun when it was, rivals but people who you thought actually kind of got along so they were bringing humor and a fun interaction like the type the type of people you thought would play golf together privately normally and be competitive and have their little jabs each other a little. yeah but you know yeah. we're friends but i am going to try and make fun of you here versus this of yeah. i'd really like to say something worse but i gotta be nice anything else uh, i think yeah. that about wraps it up for this episode got a quick turnaround yeah. and then uh next week's nfl picks yeah we're almost a quarter of the way through wow. the season yeah 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 it goes by fast and this yeah. is a difficult week coming up good matchups very difficult for survivor football indeed. as well <laughs> how are you leaning servo yeah how are you leaning survivor wise frank I'm going with the team that lost to the worst team in the NFL and saying that they're not going to lose two in a row to the two worst teams in the NFL. Meaning I'm going Titans, I think. Yeah. The the doubt there, I guess, is I like to see what the injury status is and just to see if there is some kind of wide receiver available. I'm a little bit tempted because obviously you get to pick teams twice. I'm a little bit tempted by taking the Cowboys against the Giants. So for me, I think I'm either going Cowboys 
Titans or Packers. Those are kind of the three. What about the Patriots over the Texans? I've already used the Patriots. I, I used the Patriots when they played the Jets. Otherwise, I would be using the Patriots, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm either going to go Patriots or Titans, I think. I'm not sure yet. The biggest spread is Tampa Bay over the Dolphins. Yeah, and I've not used Tampa Bay yet, but I kind of feel as if I want to keep... I'm trying to keep all the good teams. Now, I would put the Cowboys into the the good team bubble, but I'm trying to keep all those good teams available so that... I mean, we. I think this pool started with around 1,200 people. We're now down to about 400. And if I can get to a stage where there's only... 150, 200, and I still have all the big, the big teams in my back pocket. I'm in, I'm in the driving seat. But that almost, that logic almost cost you last week with the Bengals. It did, <laughs> but if I hadn't taken the Bengals, I would have taken the Titans. So I would be out. Yeah. So in a sense, it saved me because I would have taken the Titans for sure if I hadn't taken the Bengals. All right. Well, we'll have to wait and see who you take on our next podcast. Yeah. Exciting. Exciting news for everyone to look forward to. See ya. Cheerio.